Hi, I'm Mike. I'm Josh. I'm Dave. And I'm Josh. And this is Does It Suck Now? Now? Now. Now? Now? Now. episode we did the lost boys a fitting episode five movie solo would you like to start us off with a riveting piece of poetry yes yes the the haiku this week i feel sets the tone for discussion well and it is <clears throat> family values sucked dry by teen vampires <laughs> bangs a lot Kiefer. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I got to give my wife credit for that pun. But that, yeah. Number one pun. Yeah. I like that pun. So That's a good one. I got to say, I'm pumped to talk about this movie. There's so, whether you liked it or hated it, there's going to be so much shit to talk about from this movie. So let's start I, off with the yeah. description here. I feel like a lot of people have seen this movie, but I'm still going to read the description. And uh, I'm also going to read a little bit from The Atlantic, which I think helps uh, put this into context. Teenage brothers Michael, Jason Patrick, and Sam, Corey Haim, move with their mother, Diane Weiss, to a small town in North California, Santa, Cla- Santa Carla. Carla. Santa Carla. While younger Sam meets a pair of kindred spirits and geeky comic book nerds, Edward, Corey <laughs> Feldman, and Alan, whoever, who cares? Wait, say geeky comic book nerds again. <laughs> Sam meets a pair of kindred spirits in geeky comic book nerds. <laughs> Edward and Alan, the Frog Brothers, the angst-ridden Michael soon falls for Star, who turns out to be in thrall <laughs> to David, leader of a local mm. gang of vampires. Sam is his new who ride dirt bikes. <laughs> who definitely ride dirt bikes. Yeah, Sam and his new friends yeah, must natural. save Michael and Star from the undead. So let me read this one paragraph uh, in four kind of, days. In four again, days, four everything days. in the eighties happens over a long holiday weekend. All Time is long. a flat circle. Uh, this is uh, from a 2017 article uh, in the Atlantic about the 30th anniversary of the Lost Boys. Joel Schumacher's The Lost Boys, which turns 30 years old this week, has, in some respects, the very things you'd want from a 1980s horror comedy: big-haired vampires, noisy motorcycles. Big-haired vampires riding noisy motorcycles, <laughs> and Corey Feldman, and strobe lights, and strobe lights. True, strobe lights. true to '80s form, the film embraces some of the best excesses of American popular culture, employing ridiculous bloodbaths and over-the-top rock-infused soundtrack as it depicts a family's struggle to fight the small army of leather-wearing teenage demons swarming <laughs> their town. I respectfully disagree with the over the top. What was that? Over the top rocking. Over over the top rock infused soundtrack, which maybe. (laughs) uh, A lot of music has happened in 30 years. Uh, I'm going to tell you the opening, though, I was immediately like, now that I'm thinking of it from our other ones, 
the hair. The hair. But no, just the, the opening shot of coming, the helicopter shots now. Uh, I really yeah. am paying attention to them from the Kroll one that when we first did it and uh, Sprague was mentioning it. I love the helicopter shots in this. Like, I, I, I personally, my overall take stance this week is going to be, I think there are definite problems with the plot, as per usual. But I think the movie making, the level of the movie making was really good and made me excuse a shit ton of things that I would have normally picked out. Let me talk about the helicopter shots that you brought. All right, yes. So the opening one, the camera's wobbly, which is on purpose, but you don't know it. You watch it and you're kind of like, why is it wobbly? It's wobbly because you you don't realize it until later, but it's them flying and they don't fly straight apparently. So I love that. So my other favorite thing was over the water classic shot, which is always like a mystery. Um, The helicopter flying over the water. And then later on, after they do the first sequence of introductions and then they switch over to nighttime, they repeat the shot again at nighttime. And he does a second introduction helicopter shot in the beginning of the movie, which I love. Nobody ever does two. Schumacher was like, you need two flying helicopter shots to open this movie. They had had the helicopter for one day and they're like, we're just all day. We have this for the day. It's a flat fee for the day. We're just everybody into the helicopter. We're doing all the shots now. I think I hated second the unit. I'm going to go out here and get into some uh, inside baseball talk. But I think the second yeah. move, the second unit in this movie is like the true hero. Like they yes. like really tie this film together with all those great helicopter shots, just all the fucking going through the carnival, just like all of that B-roll is just so yeah. awesome. Yeah. This was not a movie made with control. And I and I think that's it, it gives it its flaws, but it also makes it extremely unique. And though I could easily, like, in my mind, redo this movie and make it better in a certain way, quote-unquote better, I don't think I would. Because it's so bizarre, it's so out of control and wild. It's just, like, it feels, like, kind of what you're saying, it feels like it's directed by more than one person. Oh, yeah. Mm, yeah. I think that well, this it was for a certain part that. of it, right? Didn't, yeah. I, I, I read that Richard Donner started being, yeah. like, the main yeah. guy for this movie, and then he, it was going so slowly that... He said, um, fuck it. I'm going to go make Lethal Weapon. I'm going to hire Joel, and he's going to finish this, is essentially what happened. <laughs> and this, oh, is such a Joel, this is such a Joel yeah. Schumacher movie, too. Oh, my Joel God. Sh- Joel it? Schumacher was a set designer before he was a director. And, like, this movie is, like, all about the sets. Like, that fucking cave where they live. Like, the house with all the taxidermy in it. Oh, no, that's yeah. the thing. Like, I feel like on... Sprague's point about the movie being out of control and crazy, those were by far the best parts of the movie. Like, most entertaining is when they're on the boardwalk and it's all this chaos and all this... And then the opposite of it is when they had these like crazy scripted scenes, like either in the house or in the lair, and th- and those were like okay. Is, is Corey Haim a good actor? <laughs> is Corey, is Corey Haim, Haim a good actor? Yes. Is he good in this movie? This oh, movie, Corey I thought Haim so. Yeah. yeah. I thought you know what I'm going to go out on a limb here because I laughed at Corey Haim more than once, and that's another thing when we revisit these sorts of movies: can they actually deliver a line? And can you actually get a giggle out of it? And are you along for the ride? Which is one of the things right. I know Sprague talks about. And so I'm going to say, I think, I don't think he's a good actor. I think Corey Hain was very, he's a personality. He was, he's 
fun at what he does. He was and, he was yeah. better in his role in this movie than unfortunately Andrew McCarthy was in a similar role in his previous movie. I'll put it that way. <laughs> It'll come there's, out there's again. There's definitely one thing I do not believe about Corey Haim is that nobody in 1987 in Phoenix dressed like Corey Haim. Like no one dresses <laughs> like that. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'm from Phoenix. That's that's where you got that fucking weird overcoat. Oh my god, all his like weird colors. Yeah. You didn't get the memo, yeah. Mike, that Phoenix is hot. Hottest place in the world and hot on fashion. Actually, That's... what am I what am I <laughs> compared, to, compared compared to Santa Clara, California, or wherever they were, which apparently is the backwoods in the eighties. Punk capital. Santa Clara is the punk capital of the of the fucking world. It's, and it's murder, the capital. murder capital, the murder capital in the movie, and it's and right there on the back of the capital. welcome billboard. And, and uh, nobody bothers to paint that off. In the beginning, you know, like the no township dog... person is like, maybe we should spray paint this. Real <laughs> no great. one cares in this town. <laughs> the backstory is this solo. It's not in the budget. They don't have it in the fiscal budget for that year, so they have to leave. It. <laughs> so they're like, damn it, this is well, really going to look bad. It's <laughs> probably capital. because, like the Frog Brothers said, there's like werewolves in City Hall. Oh right! Oh, you're uh, right. Yeah. yeah, this is which I think like there was a potential there to build like a whole Lost Boys universe. Like there's a yeah. Lost Boys two out there with werewolves and City Hall, and there's like a young Mr. Smith goes to Washington City Councilman <laughs> who <laughs> gets roped into this werewolf clan. <laughs> I think it, they, they should have had the mayor from Jaws. They should have just brought him in to like play the exact same character, except you're a werewolf. <laughs> Lost Boys 2. It's so the exact same character. Done. Here's $25 million. Get to Right, let's do it. A lot of people in the 70s did look like werewolves, though. Sideburns will do that to you. Dave always likes to talk about influence. And I think, like, I don't know if you guys felt this too, but uh, knowing that Schumacher wasn't really a director yet and was a set designer, it really explains, like, how he just took, like, Spielberg's playbook. And I guess, Donner, you can say the same thing about where, like, maybe these guys wouldn't, maybe, like, these guys are, like, they, like, they learned film by just working with Steven Spielberg, and that was their film school. And then they knew, and then they just copied his moves, and his moves are so good that they're, like, universally part of the film language now. Like, the well, it's way like his camera moves in. Football, it's, like, the same fucking thing. It is. I thought the, the editing in this, that was something immediately to me, just at timing of editing, because, uh, as we all know, it's so important when you get your finished product. And the cuts were all like really where they needed to be. So you didn't have too many. I mean, I'm sure we can get detailed, but you didn't have too many times where you're like, why are you just like with Mannequin? There were so many times where I'm like, why are you just sitting on that? Get out. Get out. Cut it. No, this movie moves. This movie keeps it moving. Maybe maybe, maybe a little too fast, which I think honestly is probably my biggest criticism (laughs) because I really I want. I, not that I want more of the movie, but like there's certain parts of the story that I feel like get completely just chopped out of the storytelling, yeah. and it makes it tough. I feel like you could summarize it in two seconds and be like, vampires, there's a divorce, they move to Santa Clara, boom, they're looking for jobs, there's the kid, and then boom, Michael falls in love with Star, and I have some comments about that concert. Oh, boom. yeah, hold on. Yeah, we... boom. They, someone's <laughs> right, dating wait. the hold mom. Right back it's... to that concert. <laughs> Everything oh, that's out. my favorite <laughs> moment in it. Can we the jump into that concert moment. real quick? Yeah. Oh, oh, man. Uh, Timmy oh. Capello. Timmy so Capello. The, I guess we should have we we tied it into, like, 
the helicopter shot leads you to the boardwalk where the sweatiest, uh, strangely attended saxophone rock concert is happening. And it's like the guy from CNC Music Factory, it looks like, with like a saxophone. Who is, who is like jacked shirtless Kenny G with the chains on? It's like smooth jazz with the rock and roll beat and these punk rockers are like going nuts. Like Kenny this Capello. is like, yeah, who? like it's, Dave, who? Is that I, gotta, I wanna write this down. <laughs> I, like, you know this guy? Who is this? Oh, I looked it up because he had the Amazon thing where you can pause it. And his name is Timmy Capello. Mm. Timmy. And he <laughs> and he had a hit that year, right? He had a hit that year, Timmy Capello. So they were like trying to, I think, combine like his hit single, this and that. And just for fun, I wrote down some tour names for that tour that happened for him in 87 <laughs> and it's called Timmy Capello was it rock saxophones and the rock saxophones that's what Timmy Capello no shirt tour it's literal and still interesting <laughs> Timmy Capello will sax you to death <laughs> Timmy Capello and hot sax um sax you up with Timmy Capello Sax on the beach, um, come on. That's yeah, it. We're going for it. <laughs> you know, last one. Last Hang in there. Robbing sax with Timmy Capello. Oh, <laughs> robbing sax. He is my nomination this week for Jesus Abs. Oh, Jesus Abs. Well, let me, let me, before we get into (laughs) it further, I do want to say that. Sorry, Sprague. Tim Capello is from Tina Turner's band, so he was already famous for for playing with Tina Turner. Oh, nice. Also, I had a a strange senior moment. Uh, So I was like, we're watching this. I'm watching it again with Star's family, and I'm like, oh, that guy died. So tragic. That guy died. And then later in my research, I realized he didn't die. Uh-huh. The guy, who, <laughs> saxophone player who played the Baker Street, you know that song? <laughs> he died. So uh, everybody who I told maybe. that Tim Capello is dead, I, I was wrong. He's alive. He's fine. <laughs> we should have him call him great the show. So the vibe of this movie, we should talk about it's it. It's like great. It's like it's like it's like eighty. It's like an adult's version of eighties rebellion. Like an adult at the time, like a baby boomer's view of eighties rebellion through the dying sixties, like the death of the sixties. Kind of. It's very. Yeah, this totally. is like the most baby boomer movie I think I've ever seen in my life. Uh, oh my yeah. god! It was. It was oh, basically. Totally. The whole and I don't mean that it, in the meme way. I just no, mean in the generation it's, and what it's their like, culture I, was. I felt like the baby tone boomer. of this movie was just like a baby boomer looking at a hair metal guy and just shaking his head. <laughs> like yeah. That was, that's Do the you whole think Schumacher actually about. had a love and like an understanding of this culture that he was trying to replicate? Because I don't. I just think it looked it, like a music video. It's, but it's funny not, you should ask that, Sprague. I, I have it written down here in a, a quote, clearly written by a guy who doesn't understand the culture he's trying to comment on. And quote. Yeah. But <laughs> I don't think it affects I, the movie. In his guy, defense, Mike. I think that that's what kind of makes this movie a little timeless. Right. Like, I think that the fact that he just doesn't lean so hard into the 80s, even though it's obviously in the 80s, 
rather his impression of it makes it like i don't know i bought this movie in 2020 like i watched it and i'm just like it, it was like uh how they do stranger things and everybody's just like yeah man that's that's what the 80s was like you know that's what yeah. the lost boys is like in a weird way in the, you know they made it in the 80s but in a way it holds up to the parody of the 80s. I mean, yeah, they don't, you, they don't I, obviously don't ram it down I, your throat like Stranger Things, but yeah, that's it. <laughs> I want to I want to comment back on Sprague. I I do agree with your comment, Mike, but I don't I'm going to go back to this cuz what we said after we finished the podcast last week on Mannequin, when you said one of the producers on Mannequin um was like the king of the focus group, right? Yeah. And it makes so much more sense why that movie is the way it is after that, because they was, just mm-hmm. focus group the shit out. Yeah. I think that comment was, came after we stopped recording. So you're saying it now yeah. for the first, and that was a great point. Yeah. I agree. Sorry, go ahead. And I think that that is part of Lost Boys, in my opinion. I think that Schumacher's and, and maybe Donner's, I think their vision definitely got through but I think that this is so much that's happening at the time because immediately Corey uh, Hain has the, like, no TV, no TV. You know what that means, man? No MTV. I know. Like, he says that in the <laughs> very beginning. The movie. Yeah. Yeah. And you know that they're trying to obviously, yeah. like, this is the error. This is 87, you know? Like, it's so big that you see those, like, really big um, – what is it, you know, like corporate sponsors sort of thing in the movie of like, who are we trying to play this to? And we're not going to make any yeah. effort to hide it. If, or make- if, you, if you remake this okay. movie, you could just easily go, oh man, there's no cell phone or internet up here because of the mountains. And yeah. then you just base the whole town around not having that. And the movie doesn't change at all. And it's set in 2020. <laughs> or right? you, could right? say, you could say right. there's no MTV. Oh, that means no Jersey Shore and Teen Mom. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> And then the older Same brother movie. would say, thank yeah. God. <laughs> thank God. All right. Can yeah. I say Jason Patrick looks like he's uh, 45? Fucking yeah. <laughs> he's very old. He's a very he old 18-year-old. He looks so, good. Don't he he's looks so 20... good in this movie. Dude is hot in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> he's hot. I'm just going to say it. Dude's hot. So much smoldering. They, they have jawlines in this movie that like would shred you. All over this movie. And I was I was very excited to see Bill S. Preston Esquire on that yes. carousel when he came yeah. around as the first guy in the movie. I was like, yeah, dude. He's I wrote down Alex, Alex Winter's half shirt. That's what I wrote down. Yeah. <laughs> every time every time they walked into a store in the beginning of the movie and they all like walked by and everybody got a chance to be like <laughs> old dudes and like make a face like that i loved it i could have watched that for like two hours just them walking. i would the love trouble, it if the trouble causing punk scenes were all awesome people. Yeah. it was amazing i would truly love great. to find out where that trope comes from because i it's hard for me that even in 1987 you're a gang it was did, in reality time yeah uh, well yeah. that they're all like <laughs> well <laughs> that's true <laughs> you know i i get it but you don't you remember all the movies growing up like there was always the punkers especially in the 80s was just and it was always the similar like little rascals dead end or well, not little rascals sorry like dead end boys thing dead end gang. we're coming in we're causing trouble ha <laughs> ha <laughs> I guess it's still maybe you're right, Solo. Like in the beginning of time, young people walk into a store. The, the old will always fear the young. That well, is <laughs> right. That's why. There's that's a it. quote from from like Socrates or 
Aristotle or somebody who's just like, you know, the youth of today don't like respect anything. They don't respect their elders. They have funny hair and weird clothes. <laughs> yeah. That is definitely you an Aristotle that, quote. And that is... Mike got that from the book that is in our bathroom at our dad's house called yeah. Weird History. <laughs> and it's right there. And I've read that same quote so many times. That's how I learned everything. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting on the toilet. Sitting on the toilet. Our philosophy book. humor. <laughs> So were you guys were you guys more into the Molly Ringwald poster that was like five foot by four foot, or the incredibly sexy Rob Lowe poster on the other side of the room in the <laughs> same room? Well, the, 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 I, the Rob Lowe poster placement was intentional, obviously. Mm. Yeah, I did. Write I feel like that was one. Joel Schumacher's set design there. He's into like like androgynous uh, '80s mm. men. He loves it. I did write down that Corey Haim was maybe bi curious. That's what I was thinking. Like, I, but I honestly Maybe, think that, that might have been intentional. That might oh, have been totally. like Schumacher, like adding his mise en scène into it. You know, the, the the design of the the information given to you from the set and the costumes and all that. And like, totally, I think that was done there on purpose. Well, Absolutely. and also, <laughs> case point, um, the bathtub scene. I mean, is how old is he supposed to be in this movie? <laughs> oh yeah, when he's like splash oh, yeah. taking a bath. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's supposed to be definitely 15, 16, yeah. something like that. <laughs> I don't know many 15-year-olds that enjoy taking a bath like that. Not that I know many 15-year-olds <laughs> at all. No, I do it all the time. I do it all the time. I love that. Yeah. I mean, baths are fun, but still, that's all. <laughs> oh, by the way, I want to go back real quick. Opening credits, which I really did love the, you know, When You're a Stranger, uh, the Doors cover, and them filming everyone on the pier as we were talking about. But if you pause it real quick, there's one blonde punk rock chick who is licking a rat. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I saw that. <laughs> and I paused it and I had to go back to how shit. hardcore it is. I totally <laughs> missed goes, that. She's just <laughs> kissing it and then suddenly the tongue comes out and she goes, oh no, she's licking it. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is she holding the rat? Can you? I'm yeah, gonna need to go yeah. back and like watch this again. Yeah, no, you can clearly see it. It's like center of the screen. Wow. And we'll move on after this. The dog has a credit. I love it. The dog uh, is named Thor. Both dogs. Both dogs have no. credits. Yeah. Oh, Nanook was the good dog. Yeah, um, yeah Nanook was the. So, uh, <laughs> while we're while we're tying into old podcasts, Corey Haim was our breathless '80s actor of this movie. His mouth is open the entire movie, and he's just like, uh, and every scene. He's also a close talker. He's always close to people's faces the whole fucking movie. It was kind of weird that I like noticed that throughout the whole movie. He's very close to everybody, especially to Jason Patrick in the flying scene, at the end of the flying scene. Yes. When he pulls him in the bathroom, they're like, they're acting like they're in a romantic scene, but they're brothers, and it's very bizarre. He David Mike, your brother. Do you guys ever like, stick your faces into each other in the no. bathroom no did, did that, you ever back yeah the, i mean that <laughs> that is how we had to communicate brotherly love no. it was like a force field say what do i I, might... I don't have a brother <laughs> i don't know we just like punched or <laughs> <laughs> that's different <laughs> but dave to your he carried uh cory haim with the delivery in this movie and the way he approached it, I think was your uh, Catskills comic uh, in the oh. Lost Boys movie. He he was he was taking shots and like throwing out one-liners and wearing weird robes and 
you know, getting real close to Jason Patrick, all that stuff. It was all very like old school acting. Oh, and the you have off. the line. You want to say the line, don't you, Solo, of when also that the brothers are holding hands as they walk through the, oh, on, the yes. on the boardwalk. Well, and, then, and, then, what does he and say? then he says to his brother, I'm at the mercy of your sex glands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> from the movie. You I, delivered it very differently than it was delivered in the movie, though. So. That's how I heard it. That's how I heard it, and that's why I wrote it down, because I was like, that's a weird thing to say. I, he does just, I love the when, he, when, when Jason Patrick is, like, turning vampire, and Corey Ham's pissing him off, and he just goes, go take your bath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of good interaction lines like that. Actually, it's that cool. was kind of awesome, part of it yeah. was, anyway. That whole scene... <laughs> We're in the bath though when the dog like uh like he's underwater and the dog attacks him and the door closes. Yeah. It is, uh, it's amazing. It's still so funny. Like the way it's he so comes good. up from the water and he's just like, huh? Hey, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> they they were not afraid I'm, I'm, to yeah. underscore their scariest moments with a joke, which I, I as it grew on me through the movie, I really appreciated that. That was funny. There was a lot of funny stuff in the final end battle. Oh yeah, uh, that we can talk about later. I I like that because that when the dog yeah. jumps, you're scared, you're yeah. tense. But then when he pops out of the bathtub, you're like cracking <laughs> up and laughing at how ridiculous it is. It's great. <laughs> what did you think, Mike? Especially like I thought the use of sound and the sound design in this movie was finally one of the first movies that I was like, oh my god, that's so like what you expect it to be. It's a character. They use it well the noises, everything that they do in it, it's, like, really amazing. And I was like, ah, <laughs> there great, finally. Really, there was a lot of really simple things that I really appreciated. Uh, and, and this is just true of the whole movie with special effects and everything, where uh, the sounds are, are, at this point, so iconic, just, like, the whispering dialogue repeated throughout, which is something I use in sound design when I was, like, actually uh, editing a friend's film where I would take the dialogue and use it because there's a lot of scenes of just a man thinking. So I'll take a lot of dialogue from previous scenes and sort of like make it very ghostly sounding. Uh, also, one of my favorite things, the wind chimes. The wind mm-hmm. chimes, uh, yeah, yeah. They, they really set the mood uh, of when you hear a slow wind chime, you know everything's cool. And then because it's like, it looks stupid to look to watch them green screen flying, and I'm so glad that that is really rare in this movie. But one of the cool things was they used so many other things, like the lights and the wind chimes, to be like the vampires are coming. The wind picks up; they're getting closer. The wind chimes get louder, and so on. But it's like those little touches. I thought was like he's yeah. worked, he's like not going to show you a stupid special effect. He's going to just build this with the natural elements that are available to him. Like a lot of, I'm sure a lot of that was like on set wild sound. So I think, <laughs> and, and I think part of that has to do with, it's got to go back to Schumacher on that one. Cause I think there's a lot to praise about him and criticize like what you're saying, like mm-hmm. the, like the hiding the vampires flying and saving the wire work for really effective scenes where they, they could stage it in a way that it like worked and felt supernatural instead of feeling fake. Um, mm-hmm. But I think he went to the well too much on the like, keep the camera low and on the faces of people seeing the flying vampires, but never seeing the flying vampires. And I wonder if like, he just did not, I think Joel Schumacher did not have quite enough tricks in his bag to give this movie the final push it needed. 
to maybe get mm. to like a slightly higher level. But that's mm. also I don't want to like make it like I want. I completely agree with that. But I think a better director maybe might not have made as good a movie in a weird way, but but maybe <laughs> could have had a couple more tricks that would have upped the like wow factor, especially as it ramped up at the end. Like at the end, I needed something. I needed like yeah. a vampire coming out of the dark or something like some new shot that we hadn't seen to add one more level of like supernatural yeah. to it. Yeah, the, well, the shark. The, like it wasn't even the, the wow factor in like certain scenes, which absolutely I thought it was a little. It felt pretty dated. Um, you know, obviously trying to give it all the respect and context that you need to for an '80s movie, but it still felt dated, and. You know, everything categorizes this as a horror movie, like a horror comedy. Just take out the horror. Like, I don't know. Maybe it was it just no. there was nothing. It was not scary. But I don't like, agree with anything you just said. I thought the wild you- was awesome. And I <laughs> just never take the horror out of this. No, movie. no, but I mean, not, don't, don't like take the horror element out, but just don't call it a horror movie. In 87, you know what else came out and is a terrifying movie? Hellraiser. That yeah, Hellraiser is a horror movie. movie. This is not a fucking horror movie. That's my point. Why isn't it, though? Why isn't it a horror movie? It's scary. There's disgusting gore. Uh, it's not. Alex Winter's n- death is horrid. That one <laughs> is. I agree. Wait, when he, hold on. Out when he sprays glitter blood, yeah. it stays. It like, was disgusting. No, no, no. I mean, come, no. A, no, it's not. B, it's glitter blood. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's like it's a comedy. But that's the thing. I think it worked both. I thought it was hilarious and horrifying at the same time, and I love it. I, that's what I, I love. I don't know if you can. I don't know if you can. That's Evil Dead. I don't know if that was Lost Boys. Solo. Uh, I was kind of in your camp for like a little while watching this movie, where I was like, okay, it's a comedy horror. Where's the horror? But the one scene that got me was the scene where they rip the roof off the car and they pull that woman like into the night. That was like really, really scary, and she just disappears in the darkness. It looks so good, and it's like I don't know. It was just really well done. Like uh, I love it when when that's like another simple trick. Like they just pull the woman into the abyss. It looks awesome. I thought that right away of how much they didn't show, and also does that woman and do those two punks live in that car? Well, no. That was were they the same couple from the from the merry-go-round at the beginning? That they start getting into a yes. fight with, and yes. they get kicked yeah. up. All right, so okay. I, so it all I love a movie that just drops you in the middle of some shit that's already going down, and just pop, plops you right in there, and you're like, "All right, like here we go. Let's like and and trust that you'll figure out the world as you go." And I really appreciated that about this movie. There was some shit going down between that gang and the vampire gang for like weeks, probably. Yeah, the Nazi where the vampires punks. like, you know what? Like we're flexing now. We're gonna fuck these motherfuckers up. Yeah, like it's no, time. No, surf Nazis. Surf Nazis, yeah. surf Nazis. Yes. yeah. From the credits, and- legitimately like <laughs> called surf, not, surf Nazis in the credits mm-hmm. of this movie. So good. So, <laughs> that's exactly what they were. Oh, and by the way, Emily said she misses TV Guide, and that movie made her miss TV Guide. You have a TV? No. I just like to read the TV Guide. Read the TV Guide. You don't need a TV. Oh, man, the grandpa... Okay. <laughs> So I have a question I want to ask you guys. What do you think Star's plan was? Who, what was the vampire's name? Kiefer Sutherland? David. David. If David, if David didn't, um, I thought Corey Haim was David. I had it wrong. Uh, if David Sam. doesn't show up, if, oh, Sam, that's right. If David doesn't stop <laughs> Star from driving away with Michael that first night, 
what do you think Star's plan is that night? How do you think that night happens? What goes down? She she Wait. tells him later in the movie. She says, "I was supposed to kill you." Basically, right. But what do you think? What, what's your version of the story? You know, in like in classic literature, they call it the almost epic or whatever. I think it's called when like there's a moment early in the story where the whole story gone a different way if something doesn't happen and that's like that moment if she goes off with michael into the night where does our story go what happens france <laughs> i want a serious answer i want to know what you guys think what do you think she wanted to do what do you, what do you think star was going to do she with him? do you think she, she was going to kill him or do you think yes, she was going to like make she, out with him she and then tells kick him out? michael she tells michael that's what she was I think told the to do what do you think bedroom, she would do she's a half vampire because she hasn't killed anybody yet right and she was but do you think she would have killed him yes oh yeah, yeah. i don't think she would i don't over. think she would have killed him uh-uh i don't think she, she would have him they smolder. They they yeah. exchange smoldering looks during a saxophone concert. That's what he's married. right. Oh, and he freaks out and goes to the cave to seek her help. And the lines I have written down are: "I'm turning into a vampire. I'm freaking out. What a fuck. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. So she goes. I can't help you. I thought it was like I can't help you. So let's let's fuck. Yeah, I can like, fuck yeah. you. I can't help you. I can. He's having like a total like <laughs> breakdown of like mind, body, and soul, and like goes seeking help. And she's like, "And you want a piece of this?" She's like, "Yeah, yeah sure." And then cool. she's like, yeah, "Do you like?" She's like, "Do you like Prince?" Because we're gonna reenact one of his videos right now in his bed. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. <laughs> David Fincher or Michael Bay could make a good Lost Boys movie. No, I go with Michael Bay if if I had to choose. Okay. I'm going to oh, tell you. Now, here's what happens. They drive off More into the explosions. night. She gets him. <laughs> then it's just Michael and her. Like, they're going to kill um, Max. That's what they're going to do. Like, I think that she falls in love with him because apparently in every Ooh. fucking 80s movie, they fall in love over a smoldering saxophone okay. lust yeah. look. But, yeah, she goes off, and then she's like, I can't do it. And then maybe the the kid is like, I don't really want to be a vampire star. And then she's like, you have to help us. That's my serious answer. And then, yeah. then wait, my non-serious wait, wait. answer is... What happened? You froze. You froze. He's, He's flipping out. There's a lot of emotions with vampire movies, man. It's all emotions. I had an exciting idea, but I interrupted Dave. I'm sorry. I was going to say my non-serious idea is that the little kid was like, I was a drummer boy in the Civil War. Somehow I made it here. And that's, that's my next jacket. Actually, that's another good question. How old are these vampires? Not old. The boy and and... Star are not old. When you mean vampire age or in real age? No, no, they haven't been half vampires very long. The boy's face was on a milk carton. True. uh, That, and then, and she's been with, and she also hasn't had a kill. So you got to figure that. Yeah. You know, I don't know how old, how long, a year, maybe two years, but not like thirty years. Long enough for them to be on the cover of Sergeant Pepper's. True. But no, that's the thing. This kid, <laughs> whatever his name was, the kid, the long-haired vampire kid, I just was looking at the, the whole scene where he like tries to attack him even at the end, too. And then what I've written down is, is there anything sadder than a child vampire? Like, in every mm. movie, the, the child vampires, it's, just, it's like, it's sad. If there was, like, ever, a, like, a real heart-wrenching, sad horror movie kind of part of the movie, it's like watching... Kid vampires and pretty much are you movie. are you jumping to interview with a vampire, Kirsten yeah. Dunst? 
Well, there's that. Yeah. There's like there's a kid I, vampire. Let the right one in. Yes. Oh, sad, yeah. sad kid vampire. Like I mean, it's let's, just. Let's just take a moment on the podcast to like think about sad child vampires. It's the saddest. and all that unrealized potential. Moment of silence, guys. Moment of silence for the kid vampires. Oh, Danny boy. We <laughs> did that. We really did <laughs> that. That was, that was not like silent. A, that was. <laughs> all right. <laughs> back on target. <laughs> so wait, back to how old they are. There, uh, there, there was an inclination that I think maybe Kiefer Sutherland is older because he Probably. talks about like the history of the place that they're staying. But also, I, I feel like the punk vampires are more recent because they're homeless, and their master guy, uh, Max, is, uh, is an older vampire because he has like he's wealthy i don't know because he owns a video i got that yeah Yeah, but what he does with his generations of wealth is he writes vhs he's making good money (laughs) and that video store is pimped out there's like 100 tvs in that store like that's a boardwalk store and it was his house they got tapes what that was his house tapes no no they have one scene near to the end of the movie where yeah yeah, yeah. the bridge the crime yeah bridge and he, oh no, they had the bridge, but she, he actually has dinner with her and they show the inside of his house and mm-hmm. it looks, it's just so 80s out. With it's the so... ascending neon light uh, <laughs> sculpture oh, that yeah. burned into my brain yeah. from watching this earlier today. Oh, yeah. I love neon. Neon, great. Big trouble, little China, <laughs> wedding scene. Love it. <laughs> malls, malls, people. Um, I also, <laughs> so I want to just talk real quick too, and I have to do it timeline timeline it's so amazing it didn't bother me as much this time as it did in mannequin but i still think it's hilarious where it's like he it is four days and i and michael gets turned into a vampire on his second night there and i was just like damn michael's having a rough time man like i'm glad you pointed this out dave because i i feel like you can't i i want everybody to admit that you can't bang mannequin as hard as you did <laughs> as hard as you did as hard as andrew mccarthy did over, over the timing that was we discussed this whatever it. you do at home is fine <laughs> but seriously not in you can't knock the mannequin. mannequin as hard as you did over the four-day timeline <laughs> if this thing is also happening over four days it ties in the uh what we talked about where like if it's a good movie you don't care if it's yes. a, when you care right. about shit like that it's because the movie's bad right. if you don't care about shit like that the movie's good if it took us less than an hour to solve the problem that andrew mccarthy had in mannequin that, that a room full of writers who had like a year to make this movie a lot in, of writers yeah <laughs> It's not a good movie. And no. kilos of cocaine. So this was this was a ninety minute don't do drugs ad though. Oh, yeah. Best scene in this, this movie. movie I don't think this movie has you know, that like eighties like It's a like, public air. service announcement that Joel Schumacher tries to make with vampires because he thinks vampires are sexy. Oh well, there. Well, I mean, <laughs> like, too, they do the make way. drugs look really cool in this movie. Right, it's that's like, what I'm saying. It's like the they vampires. Cool. They smoke weed. They fly. They drink blood. They, they ride. Drink one of my comments actually was that there's no way Michael's going to beat them in a dirt bike race because they've had eternity to practice dirt bikes. <laughs> and, and yet they continue to choose to use dirt bikes. Um, yes. That scene is the best sequence in the movie to me. Uh, Michael, when Michael meet, finally getting to meet Star, 
getting trying to get her out of town to go make out, getting interrupted. They go on the dirt bike race. You know he's getting set up to go off a cliff. Like everybody in the universe knows it's happening except Michael. We should let Michael know what's going on. Yeah. Michael. Good night, Michael. Bombs away. <laughs> Bottoms up, man. <laughs> Woo! Come with us, Michael. catches it and he survives and uh and then like then it goes to the train uh scene which is the no, best no scene no 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 between that no. scene and the train scene he drinks the blood that's important the noodles oh, right. no no he doesn't right the Michael, noodles how are your, oh, yeah, he how are your no no he, he drops from the train he drops from the train before no. he drinks the blood no that's not how true. he gets to False. the lair isn't it nope nope really not true wow. I, know he, no, I watched this like four hours ago <laughs> and took copious <laughs> notes solo's right no, he uh, he drinks the blood, and then that's where I wrote the whole like you know PDA, don't do drugs, get it. Thanks very much. Well, that um, scene. So vampires can apparently drink blood, and also Chinese food. Yes, first. You don't like rice? Tell me, Michael. How could a billion Chinese people be wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. How are those maggots? <laughs> maggots, Michael. You're eating maggots, how do they taste? What I was that I wrote was vampires, why whenever they're trying to recruit another vampire, are they always so fucking cryptic? about everything well, there's like oh hey we're just we're not going to tell you what's going on <laughs> hey you like our way of life you like what's going on here <laughs> there's like you want to fly we're fucking vampires it's awesome are you in or you out so like, simplify the sales pitch. i was imagining yeah. how they got the chinese food which was maybe they ordered out to their cave and like the, the guy came and he's just like oh shit man we're gonna freak this fucking guy out and you know alex winter's like did you get the chinese food he's like yeah i got it man <laughs> we're gonna like freak this guy out so bad What's He's the address? brave? Michael's brave. I yeah. thought they did a good job of making him legitimately like a brave. Like, and to Corey Hames' credit, I thought Sam was also brave, and they kind of made it like seem like that's part of like their character trait, like in a legit way. Like they're both a little stubborn. If I was hanging out with those dudes, I would have been so freaked out. I would have been like crying on the floor. 
and he's like straight faced handling it. Like they're changing food on him. He's eating bugs. He's high as shit. Like, and he handles it like a champ. <laughs> I just gotta say, like, that's, Michael's a strong dude. That's a great point, actually. I think the same thing that got Michael into trouble and made him a vampire also saved his life and saved his family. Like yeah. it was kind mm. of a nice little arc. Uh, I feel like <laughs> I feel like Edgar and Alan Man, really Solo, saved the family. And that Lost Boys. But no, look, I just look, <laughs> you make a statement. I just want to at least <laughs> propose that it's good. not entirely accurate. Is if you want to talk about who actually saved the family, if it wasn't for Edgar and Alan Frog, that family is vampire food. Well, it was and Grandpa and Grandpa and the Clutch. But yes, you grandpa. still shouldn't take away from Michael's efforts. Michael is like, he realizes he's turning into a vampire. He almost kills his brother. And from that point on, he's like, he's under, he's pretty under control. Like he keeps under control and has, does what he has to do. Um, so Dave, when she, when Star takes him out and you meet the boy in your version of the story, my, I wanted to add, they could have a scene where like, she asked Michael to help them. And he's like, I can't fight vampires. And she like bites her wrist and lets him drink her blood or something like that. That's good. Yeah. Um, Vampire battle. Blade did it. There you go. <laughs> Title Actually, of the next Blade movie. <laughs> that's a nice thing about the movie is they don't over-explain, like, the vampire rules. Like, they explain them when they need to, and then they just let you fill in the rest. Because it's like, everyone's seen vampires before. You know the deal. Uh, right. Here's the movie. But like, I do have one major question for you, though, oh, Mike. Yes. Do you buy the whole, <laughs> if you invite a vampire into your house, you lose all other powers to fight him? I mean... Every vampire movie is different. That's you tried movie. to make me a killer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you made him from Brooklyn, Sprague. You tried to make me a killer. That's how he delivers I, that I, line. I, I thought he was. Killer. I thought he was. I thought he was like uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. It had a little like Austrian tone to it. Stick like around. No, no, I just like I, how he said killer. Killer. Like, but you passed the test. Don't ever invite a vampire into your house, you silly boy. It renders you powerless. Did you know that? Of course. Everyone knows that. Has everyone gone crazy here? What's the matter with all of you? It was you I was after all along, Lucy. What? I knew that if I could get Sam and Michael into the family, there's no way you could say no. Where's Michael? It was all going to be so perfect, Lucy. Just like one big happy family. Your boys. And my boys. Great. The blood-sucking Brady Bunch. But I still want you, Lucy. <laughs> I haven't changed my mind about that. The thing is with good directors of uh, people who make good vampire movies, especially, they don't over-explain all the rules to you. They just, like, throw right. you in the world. So you think of, like, Let the Right One In. It's a really great vampire movie. Uh, uh, Ed Reed with the Vampire. That's pretty good, right? I mean, I don't know. Maybe yeah, sure. that's what we need to do. But, I don't remember that one. Which one? Uh, Interview? It's like the, the good vampire movies. Yeah. It's like, you know, you know the rules. And then when they do throw something in there, like, why didn't he, like, die from eating garlic? they have an answer for it and it's you're yeah. like cool now they fight yeah, yeah. it was but great also like, i like that the characters yeah. got it wrong like what you're saying like like yeah. the characters know vampires too they're they're yeah. talking about it. they're not like what the hell are these like 
the dead are coming back to life. What's happening? I've never heard of this before. <laughs> like anybody in reality would be like, oh, zombies? Like, wait, really? Zombies? And you would know exactly like what zombies meant. Right. Like, yeah. Nobody yeah. in this world, is, people in this world have heard of vampires. And I like that. Although I agree with you. Yeah, go ahead. For a quick go. minute, talk about how terrible the police department in Santa Carla must be. If <laughs> they're werewolves, but uh, yeah, so that's that, we're just we're chalking it all up to that. It's just werewolves in city hall, and then we can't. That's it. Moving you on. Can, you can chalk up anything you want to it. It's great. It just erases so many questions. <laughs> no, look, the werewolves made a deal with the vampires. They said we're going to take over. You can be out, you know, in your little shitty cave. You can eat any punk and who's surf homeless nazi, and surf want. nazi we don't care we're gonna keep all that quiet but you can't eat just like families families are off limits and i you think that's families. like lost Got boys it. too where they fight each other the werewolves like and the vampires see, fingers Harley. together scissored yes well we know this from what we do Scissor? in the shadows the vampires <laughs> and the and the werewolves and, and underworld they made a pack. They're cool. Just like you eat right. the Nazis. They were not cool in Underworld, man. I've seen at least four of those mm-hmm. movies. I couldn't tell you anything about them except Michael Sheen is amazing in all of them. Well, you know, <laughs> there's you a lot of geo- geopolitics also. involved in the Underworld. Yeah, I know it's it's complex, and the fact that they, regardless of when your vampire movie was made, you you need to also adhere to these rules also makes it convenient, <laughs> I guess. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> When you off target, guys, come on. No. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I like. I wrote this down. So when we go to the comic book shop for the first time, now as a kid, I never thought about this, and I didn't think about this until now, where I was like, those two brothers, the Frog Brothers, are at the comic book shop like alone every time we see them. But they yeah. did explain this in the beginning, and They're- I finally caught it that. They said, you know, some line where they're like, yeah, what do you think? We, we're just brothers who work at a comic book shop that our, our parents own. Yeah. And that was the line. And I was like, oh, okay. So they're not homeless, weird. They didn't well, somehow see, open up no, a comic book shop. Their parents are in the back of the shop in one of the scenes. They're like, no, hey, they're dummies. Are they the hippies that are like, they're dummies in every scene? Yes. This whole they're movie is hippies position. versus hair punks. <laughs> they they're don't do that whole movie. Yeah. They're dummies. They're not I don't those know. Aren't real people. I'm not saying they're actually his the, the parents as characters. I think they're just like they're the shot that every time you went into like someone's kooky bookstore or the secret lair and they had to do like a close up on like oddity. So they do a close up on the dummy uh, hippies who are like sitting there because if you look in all the other shots, they have not moved that position. In every shot, so I don't think those are their parents. I think I think that's intentional. Dummies I think that stores. is their parents. Just... What if that's their parents and they just—they're like these permanently latchkey kids. Like their parents are there, but they're just not really there anymore. I'm going to tell you that their the parents shop. OD'd. Okay, that's, well, obviously that's the way they look. They OD'd. Six, a lot of the B-roll. A lot of the B-roll uses the motif, uh, the visual motif of like burned-out hippies throughout the whole movie, like in the in the store with the parents. In the beginning, when they're setting up all these different kinds of like counterculture looks, there's all like they're grandpa for the all entire this. movie. <laughs> what? Grandpa for the entire movie. Right, grandpa. Yeah. But there's like these these aged hippies that are uh, like lost to society, like in the background of all this. I think that's on purpose. And like the good people wear blousey clothes, and the bad guys wear tight clothes. Uh, there's like <laughs> this is the. I think this is a testament to how 
interesting and and how much I like this movie. Because there's all these little details, and I've seen this movie a thousand times that just every time I see it, another detail like pops out to me, you know? And it's like yeah. it's all it's a very well like it's it's Joel Schumacher was like, this is my chance to like fucking make my movie. And I think he really pulls it off. Yeah. I agree. I'm gonna come back to this though. I'm telling you, I'm not saying that all those tropes that you that Sprague said aren't in the movie. Like, I totally agree with that. I'm literally saying that the two hippie things in the back <laughs> of the store are not real people. They are actual <laughs> dummies that are in the store as part of how weird the store is. So they're not their parents. That, that's my... That's I don't I agree with you, but I'm going to read. No, I, 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 I won't. I won't be passionately defending this. Yeah, people, but they're I, not you're, real. I think we we will just never know, and that's yeah. Fine. We, there's no way we could ever learn. So it's no. Fuck no, that. I'm going back and watching this scene. <laughs> no. I'll let you know in like 20 minutes. I don't Hold even on. Know. There's no. There's no way to know. Did I hope Timmy Capello not teach you anything? Did not? Did Timmy Capello not teach you how to love? No. Look, I'm sorry if Mike. If Mike freeze framed the uh, the newspaper the in mannequin to read us the script, so for everyone on the podcast, I'm going to freeze frame a scene of the movie so you can hear this freeze frame of the movie. Makes total sense for the medium, it really does. Sense. All right, everyone, close your eyes. <laughs> and Not bad. Put neon in your eye. <laughs> I have a I have something we we we're seeing this 80s thing and this is 87 same thing in mannequin breathlessness from the lead the heroine always and Corey and everybody's got breathlessness did did I, Stallone have breathlessness in over the top which came out the same year <laughs> yes or predator he's definitely a mouth breather yeah <laughs> yes. Think about what he's doing for most of these movies. Yeah, you're going to run out of Jamie, breath at some Jamie, point. Jamie, uh, what's her face? <laughs> Jamie yes. Gertz? Is Gertz. that how you say it? Gertz? Yeah. Yeah. Gertz. No, the whole part, of the, the whole part of the movie. Yes, that's true, too. <laughs> the whole part of the movie where part. she's speaking to him. Michael, I'm talking to you like this. I just ran a mile. Yeah, I but love you. It works. Dude, it works. And Diane Reese, too. It's so Diane creepy. Weiss, you're catching the pattern. Like Diane Le- I don't like Diane Weiss usually. I, I generally, honestly, like I've seen a lot of movies with her for some reason, but I don't generally like watching yeah. her. It's nothing personal. I just don't like her like style. <laughs> and, no, it's but, personal. But, I, but I, I, I just don't like her as a person. Diane Weiss, fuck that woman. Keep it to yourself, Solo. <laughs> what Dave's saying, I think she fits the movie because of that. Even though I don't like mm. her, but yeah. everybody's doing it, so it like kind of makes her like fit in by default. And Kiefer Sutherland, to me, as people, what was interesting was to go back and think about this being Kiefer's like breakout role. And what's really kind of strangely brilliant. Oh, that's a lot of people. Oh, yeah, sure. That was a breakout, though. This is like breakout. Like when you think of Kiefer Sutherland's roles, it's like Lost Boys is up there. But he has no I wasn't questioning. I was just survived. No, but that's what I was going to say, which is the brilliant part kind of about it. Every time I have seen this movie over the years, you you can't help but really like think that Kiefer Sutherland is so much a part of the movie. And he's really not in the movie as much as you think. He doesn't really have any lines. But what do we all quote? Michael. Michael. Yeah. I used to do that oh. to Mike when to get hey. him up in the morning. Fun his, game. 
I read, and, and if you read this fun fact, you're not participating in this fun game. How many times okay. do they say Michael in the movie? Ooh, I did not read this fact. 100. Did anybody else not read it? Not enough. Dave's guess is 100. I'm going to say, wow, that, was, that makes me feel like mine's really low. I'll go, so I'm going to up it. I'm going to go 42. The price of writing it. <laughs> 42 oh. Sprague. Mike, uh, what is your guess of how many times they say Michael in the movie? I'll go with 32. 32. Oh, Dave, they say Michael 118 times wow. in this movie. Oh, shit. Oh, Damn. Dave Michael. Price you win. Congrats. So I bet there's a supercut out there. I'm going to try to find a supercut of the, every time they say Michael. I'm Michael. Michael. Michael's great. I like Michael. This is Michael. 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 because of what he's good at he really got the vibe that solo doesn't like but that i did which was like the like it's kind of cheesy but it's also like effectively serious at the same time i thought he did a good job with that especially when he like turned bad and was kind of like a punk for a little while and was just like giving all the attitude like that's not that's not in jason patrick's wheelhouse but i thought because it wasn't in his wheelhouse it adds to the movie and even Corey haim has a line of dialogue sam's like why? Why are you acting like this? This isn't you, like saying that shit to him. So I, I like. Oh that. no, I, I that liked really well. that part. I thought it was confusing though because I did look a little bit at that passage of time, and that's the only part of the movie. It was like I was like, did time pass? Because the mother was like, "You've been a real like punk lately," and then the brother's like, "You've been a real asshole lately." And I'm like, "Wait a minute, is this like seven days later?" It's she's a good mom. Like yeah, I, she's good I thought mom. actually. Even though I just said I don't really like Diane Weiss, I thought she did create like a really good character in this movie. She did a good job. I yeah, actually have a, a wait. I have a I had a little thought, which was hilarious. There's a scene where he wakes up to a phone call to his mom, and mm-hmm. and like tries to sound totally awake. <laughs> I was just thinking about how like, uh, and I don't like to brag about talents that I have, but I will here. <sighs> One of my really good talents is to be able to sound like I've been up for hours when somebody calls me with something important and totally wakes me up. Hold on, wait. You're saying that's a talent of yours? <laughs> really good talent. Like, okay. clients, people will call me. I don't know if I should be admitting this on the podcast, but <laughs> call me and I'll just be like, 
what day is that? Great. How, how much gear do you need? Great. I'll be there. Yeah, it's going to be this much money. And then I'm like, <laughs> back, <laughs> back to sleep. Woken well, from for, a- everybody, for everybody listening, you need to understand that uh, Mike, or Googs, as we affectionately call him, can sleep at any point for any period of time. An Olympic setting. level. An Olympic level sleeper. It's really suited me for my job. Uh, of film and tv production because like literally i'll work 12 hour days and sometimes i'll just like sleep for an hour and they'll be like it's time to go and i'll be like boom we're ready to go let's go let's shoot this so uh you're like a like a vampire <laughs> i'm like a vampire like you're basically like a vampire only I, I only i don't have hilarious <laughs> hilarious feet they had the funniest <laughs> fucking scene in this movie. Oh my god, that was the best part. I laughed. I cracked up. That was the one scene I rewound when when you, they do like a close up of his feet. Yes. Like, what is that when they're hanging from the ceiling? Yeah. How do they wear shoes? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody notices this on the boardwalk. How do you shift your How do you shift your motorbike with three toes? Apparently, <laughs> like, really. I'm well. gonna say too. I like to as uh, as you know, you create your own little uh, vampire world. I, I liked that they slept like bats. That was kind of like mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I actually cool. really enjoy that as like you know, yeah. adding that on as a different thing. I know that's my sense. None of this was and scary, Timmy Capello. Though. I love Timmy Capello. Yes. Multi instrumentalist. <laughs> Throbbing sax. I was gonna say sax and what? He bounces his pecs. What's his yeah. other instrument? Sax on the beach. <laughs> the tightest pants ever and some hip throbbing. He, he was working it, man. Greased just, up too. This Greased is not. That was up. a good party. I guess that was a good party. That was <laughs> yeah. like a throwdown. That was a really good party. I appreciate a good party. Party. Hell yeah. yeah for that party. Oh my god. I want to go to that party. If I, I want to go to Santa Carlos. This town looks awesome. I'm in. One of the awesome things I got to do uh, in my travels, I was shooting an episode of Ghost Adventures, and I got to go to Santa Cruz. And I got to go to the boardwalk where they shot Lost Boys. And I hung out in that amusement park. I went to the parking lot where they kill the security guard in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to the bridge that they drop off of, which nice. is really amazing because the actual bridge is not very high off the ground. I thought that was a soundstage for sure, by the no, way. No, it's the real bridge is there. It's it's amazing. So much smoke machines. I can't imagine oh. their smoke machine budget. The fog machine budget on this movie Well, they need millions of dollars. They needed to do that because if you see how far the drop actually is off the bridge, it's not scary at right. all. And it's over it's a great idea. the ocean. It's over water. It's like this this little stream that goes out into the ocean. And if you actually dropped off that bridge, you'd be fine. All right, so does anybody, what do you got? Final thoughts. There was a contact lens consultant on this movie, which I bring up to you, Dave, because I know you are a zombie movement consultant on a movie. So that was my next most uh, strange (laughs) job to have. (laughs) Contact lens consultant. I was the zombie movement consultant on Jim Jarmusch's uh, The Dead Don't Die, and my job was to come up with a vocabulary for all the extras to follow movement wise. <laughs> and you were actually awesome. in the New Yorker, which was really funny because they mentioned, <laughs> they don't really mention a lot of names except for the main stars. And then they're just like, oh yeah, there's a zombie movement consultant and his name is Dave Gugino. <laughs> and then he goes, well, how did he figure it out? Did he hang out in 
uh, graveyards and pick up tips from ghouls. So that was well, his yes. little ch- yeah. Just like right you guys, natural <laughs> zombie maker. <laughs> Just like the contact lens consultant who had couldn't quite figure out what he wanted to do in life. He's working at a, you know, whatever. Autonomy lens crafter. Lens crafter. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, he gets a big break. Joel Schumacher comes to him. He says, I got this great movie. It's called The Lost Boys. And we really need a great contact lens consultant. And he's like, I'm your guy. I'm your guy. And he's like, well, this is the guy that's always it. trying to sell to the clients. He's like, hey, man, I can make you look yeah. like a vampire. And they're like, no, I just I just want to play in contact lens. Can you? <laughs> can you? <laughs> I don't, I don't want to look like a vampire. And then word gets around. And then all of a sudden, Joel comes calling. Joel comes calling and that's his big break and he's like get it together man get it together (laughs) this is Hollywood this is the big time you gotta come you gotta pick the right lenses for this movie because this is my career's on the line (laughs) Jimmy Capello's in this Jimmy Capello's in this (laughs) (laughs) oh Jimmy call okay all right Mike it's time to ask the question before uh, we run out of jokes. So before we get into <laughs> never deliberating, <laughs> before we get into deliberating uh, about whether this movie sucks now, uh, we just wanted to uh, let you know what some of the listeners thought about this movie. Dave, you have some comments from Facebook. Yes, uh, and so we do have a Facebook page. Uh, it's Does It Suck Now? You can look it up. You can join. You can follow. But uh, and we have some friends. So David Mullen, uh, who I'm assuming is someone's friend, um, said uh, this is Kiefer Sutherland's breakout role. Uh, I've been trying to keep up and show my nine year old daughter these movies, meaning the ones on the podcast, as they come out. I can't wait her. I can't wait to show her this. She loved Kroll and Big Trouble in Little China, and she really wants you guys to do her favorite movie that I have shown her. Flash Gordon. Please don't let your nine-year-old listen to this podcast. <laughs> no. I'm like immediately regretting some word it hurts my soul. Yes. Don't do that. And the last one, this is from Leilani McBriar, and it merely says, and I think this sums up the whole movie, sexy sax man. Oh, so sexy. So sexy. Timmy. 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 Solo, Solo, why don't you talk shit on Sexy Sax Man a little bit? <laughs> I don't want to talk shit. Why would I do that? Thank you. I just wanted to. I you just know. put, you know what? You know what Sexy Sax Man is not? Scary. It's not scary. <laughs> He's not supposed That's to not be a horror movie. <laughs> That's why this movie is great. He's not supposed to be scary. He but knows. none of this movie is supposed to be scary. So stop a public service like request. <laughs> stop calling this a horror movie. Everybody yeah. that writes about this movie, just stop calling it a horror movie. It's not By the when way, I pee the bed because I'm scared. <laughs> you're not going to be there to help me. Show your nine year olds. Show your eight year olds. Show your no. seven year olds. Don't, don't, no, really. don't, don't. Just kidding. <laughs> don't do that. Uh, okay, there's a game that if you guys want to put onto our Facebook page, it's give uh, a lost boy of your choice a, a backstory, whatever you feel. Does Alex Winter's world, um, you know, go into Bill and Ted? Was he, but was, you know, was the blonde hair guy in Winger and then got bored and became a vampire? Was the other guy, who was the other guy? No. As, yeah. as, Edgar, as Edgar Frog says, Twisted Sister. 
So before we get into our final deliberation, we had some people send us some voice memos. I'm going to play them right now. One is from Josh and one is from Carrie. Hi, this is Josh Inman talking about Lost Boys. I have very fond memories of Lost Boys. It was the first R-rated movie I ever saw, I'm pretty sure. So I rewatched it this week expecting it to be problematic or dated, but I was actually pleasantly surprised. It was really fun and definitely doesn't suck now. Short and okay. sweet. Love it. Sure, third yes. Josh. Just jump on the same that, guy. Dave. <laughs> yes. So that was Josh, and this is Carrie. We've been watching old movies with our 11 year old who's finally mature enough to handle more adult scenes. Um, and since we have some extra time on our hands and bedtime is no longer a thing, two nights ago we watched Lost Boys. She was unimpressed, and I quote, it was okay, but not my favorite vampire movie. However, she doesn't like Star Wars, and her favorite so far has been Bill and Ted for the fact that she likes history, so her opinion is already a little iffy. Um, I think it's a classic, um, and I already loved it, so, um, but I also think it was more nostalgia than it being really an amazing movie. Um, that being said, Keith Sutherland still scares the crap out of me. Right. Yeah. What was that last sentence she said, Solo? I missed that part. She Kiefer, said that Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland still scares the crap out of her. Yeah. Oh, my. Oh my. And Timmy yeah. Capello. Would you say it was scary, <laughs> Solo? Scary? <laughs> now, All right. So I'll just jump into it. No, it was not scary. This is not a horror movie. Uh, and I feel if there was only... The only criticisms I had with it were some some questionable choppy pacing and like some gaps in the storytelling that made me even care less about like the serious aspect of the movie than I think I should have. Um, but I thought it was uh, funny and I thought it was like 80s riffic and looking at it through the whole lens of this generational tug of war and values and the vampires are going to take your kids and get them hooked on drugs. And I thought it was, it was hilarious. And, um, (laughs) it does not suck, but I also did not think that it was like a great story movie either. Like it was a collection of like fun moments more than it was a movie for me. So it's, I don't know. We'll do rankings later, I guess. Yeah, but it doesn't doesn't suck, but I also like again. It was it's another movie from my eighties that I was slightly disappointed in. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Dave. Dave. Okay. Does it suck now? Now. <laughs> it sucks always. Yeah. So um, I I actually really loved revisiting this movie, and I read a. Um, a review from uh, Cecil and Ebert, and I tended to really agree with them that they thought it was um, great movie making, like really great, well done. And I thought it was one of the first movies that we watched, other than Big Trouble in Little China, that had good movie making that kept me in the story. Um, I agree with uh, Solo that it still had the same story gaps and whatnot that I've talked about forever, but I didn't really mind it that much this time. I was kind of like, I'm going to go with the flow on it. Um, I would say I, you can watch the movie. I think it's another drinking movie. And I think you you might have a drinking problem. Oh, no. Well, (laughs) sure. I'm on this podcast with you guys. 
So, I mean. <laughs> Wait, Dave, Dave, Dave. Dave, before you finish, there is a, a Lost Boys drinking game. I sent it I, to you guys. Oh, I, know, I know. I saw that. It also said drink every time they say Michael, and that's not healthy. <laughs> I feel like this is another drinking game where the rules are start the movie, start drinking, stop the movie, stop drinking. Stop the movie. Because <laughs> it's like Make every it. time he says Michael, every time, what's it? Every time both Corey's touch. <laughs> <laughs> Often with their faces? Yes. <laughs> I thought too, it's like you three bottles of Jameson and just drink every oh time God. you see 80s hair, hair somewhere. Because Done. it's just like, That's I think awful. It's, <laughs> I think it's a very fun movie though that once again, I think you could watch it once on your own and still really get a kick out of it. And, but also it would be fun with a group of friends because it just kind of has that feel to it. So mm-hmm. I would say, I do not think this movie sucks now. Josh Sprague. Does this movie suck now? Uh, no, I think this movie absolutely does not suck. I don't think it's a masterpiece because if it is, it's like accidental. Like I said, I feel like it's like a, this movie is like out of control. And I love that. And I honestly wouldn't change anything because of how, like, it's like the perfect ingredients to get this movie one time and we got it. And I just think it's nuts and the flaws don't matter because I like it so much. Uh, I think the performances are all on point for the, for like, Corey Haim's a little shaky in the beginning, but I think he gets there. And, um, and we didn't even talk about just one of the most gonzo moments of the whole movie is when, uh, David is impaled, doubly impaled on the antlers of some taxidermy, which is another trope we didn't talk about. You know, the taxidermy at the cabin. And uh, <laughs> after a giant log tank crashes into the house. <laughs> so David is, or David is lying, dying on the, um, on the taxidermy. And the music goes from like what it's been the whole movie with these like very 80s synth heavy stuff into this choral chanting of thou shall not kill by like this you know ethereal choir out of nowhere and it's so (laughs) over the top it's just wonderful i just loved it like you afraid to face me david huh tried to make you immortal you tried to make me a killer <laughs> so is mine. take a movie with flaws that goes that just like is like we're just going as far as we can with this with this idea nine out of ten times for any other movie honestly i just love it i love seeing filmmakers really go for broke and joel schumacher went really fucking went for it with this movie he was not coming in as a backup he was coming in slinging the ball all over the field he was fucking nick Foles in this movie i just loved it it does not suck does antlers do antlers michael like 
Does, do we Michael. qualify Michael. as as uh, stake through the heart? Michael. They're not wooden. <laughs> They're not. Yeah. But you know what? Who cares? At that point, yeah. I wasn't going to question this movie anymore. I don't care. They're, <laughs> they're dead. They're, they're, what are rules? Michael. Michael. <laughs> Antlers Michael. are wood-ish. <laughs> Michael. Deer are made of wood? Is that what we've learned? <laughs> Michael. <laughs> No, are you drinking? Are you drinking solo? Is that why you keep saying Michael? No, I'm just I'm trying to round. <laughs> He's out. motivating Michael. himself. <laughs> Michael, I'm trying to hand it off to Michael. <laughs> okay, like, I think maybe I have the most, probably the most, uh, the best experience of watching this movie of all. Wait, guys. I love this movie. You're stealing my experience from me. If Don't you validate love, me, if you love it, I double love it. <laughs> 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 because like it was weird i tried so hard to look at this through like a critical eye but i just loved it so much that i didn't yeah. give a fuck i didn't give a fuck when they were like saying santa carla is infested with vampires and there's like seven <laughs> <laughs> like i don't care seven i guess there's a lot of vampires for a town i don't know Some humanity has really normalized their condition yeah. in this world <laughs> They're like, it's fine that there's just dozens of yeah. people disappearing every summer. It's great. I guess one mm-hmm. vampire would seem We're like fine. a lot, though. You know, a lot yeah. of vampires is one. <laughs> but with, it's it's the uh, it's the werewolves in City Hall that are using the reverse propaganda to make yeah, us all normalized to the vampires. The werewolves right. in City Hall. It all goes back to social that. engineering. So I just really want to. Uh, uh, Damn werewolves! I tried so hard just not to like this movie, and I just found myself grinning ear to ear watching the whole thing. And I think because um, I think because like Joel Schumacher does really just like swing at everything and hope to hit a home mm-hmm. run in every movie he does. And some like if you watch that Batman and Robin, he did that one right with George. Clooney. I will go to bat for that mm-hmm. movie. Uh, well, straight up, we'll go to bat for that movie. movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. but but like he really like swings for the fences, and when he hits it, like this movie is is so in the cultural lexicon that it is like hard to imagine like like i feel like he wanted it to be that way and somehow it is that way right somehow that's the magic but somehow is the magic it's inexplainable why this movie works it really is willed it to perfect timing and place yeah Yeah, like for for, seriously like of all the treasure of all the movies we've done so far there's probably not many think pieces written about kroll but there's like a million (laughs) Putting that on my list. Yeah. <laughs> but how there's so many quarantine papers. list number one. To do. <laughs> there's so many papers written on this about this movie about just how like it challenges the idea of the nuclear family, like how it celebrates queerness, how it like sort of subconsciously addresses the AIDS epidemic. Like there's so much wonderful subtext in this movie. Whether that, purposeful or not. Whether purposeful or not, but like it's that's irrelevant. What it's there. I, I feel like as a good artist, that's what you strive to do is like, is to sort of like wipe your hands of the work and say it's out there in the world, and then and just, to have it just have a lo- complete life of its own. And yeah, I feel like I everybody, everybody makes their own of it. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah, well said, Mike. I like agree with this, exactly with what you said. This movie is just wonderful on so many levels that watching it, I can't separate my emotions from my thoughts in any way like i'm just enjoying the whole ride of it and every little detail like i was saying like one of the details i noticed is how awesome the character of the grandpa is like he gets the best <laughs> jokes in the movie like with uh yeah. 
TV. Why do I need TV? TV? Like I have TV guide. And like this, <laughs> there's like another scene where he just has this, like another throwaway joke where he's like, uh, you know, you're supposed to like fill the tank of the car when you take the car out. And he's just <laughs> like, no. He's like, well, now you know. <laughs> You know the rule about filling up the car with gas when you take it without asking? No, Grandpa. Well, now you do. <laughs> Jason Patrick's face. That whole sequence, Jason Patrick is really good in that whole sequence when he's just like, he's got like nothing left in the tank and he's trying to get this group of people home it, it, just inside. He's like, we got to not be outside for a while. And he's... <laughs> He's like got nothing oh. left, and Grandpa sees him. It's so good. That was it's, a great scene. Hits him with the zinger. <laughs> well, I mean, Grandpa, yeah. the end of the movie, Grandpa has the 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 clincher at the end of the movie with the yeah. awesome. Yeah. He's just uh, watching the, the kitchen. Town's not bad. Wasn't all the vampires. All the fucking like, vampires. All the fucking <laughs> shout out to Bernard Hughes. That's his name. Yeah. Bernard, Bernard Hughes. Hughes. One thing about living in Santa Carla, I never could stomach all the damn vampires. Let me let me bring it all home. I will say emphatically, this movie does not suck. Let's I get agree. to the let's get to the rankings. Rankings. Uh, so I have a feeling I might have a new number one tonight. Ooh. Wow. Uh, be- all right. Well, then all go. The you I go said. first. Well, yeah. So for it. me, and I th- I feel like this is going to be the subject of debate. Is I think Lost Boys is number one, and Big Trouble in My Little China is my number two now. Because I think, like, drinking Malibu, yeah. I love John Carpenter. Yeah, I love John Carpenter so much. Uh, you know, Big, Big Trouble in Little China is a perfect movie. But, like, Lost Boys is like that lightning in a bottle of a movie that's like a mm-hmm. great, like a great iconic movie that just lasts forever. And it's like a reference point for culture, not just like movie nerds, you know? Mm. Okay. Boom. Got, okay. Or, All right, or, Solo, your turn. My turn. All right. Um, all the points that you just made about <laughs> about this movie, I feel, at least in my opinion, are more applicable to Big Trouble in Little China, with the exception of the iconic movie thing, which I don't give a shit about. Like, if a movie's <laughs> iconic in a certain time frame, like, I will roll that into the context and appreciate it as I'm watching it, but I'm certainly not going to give it bonus points for, like, capturing lightning in a bottle. So Big wow. Trouble Little China is still number one. I'm even putting Kroll at number two. I'm going to put this at a solid three, obviously. Oh, thank God. Beastmaster and Mannequin. <laughs> at least you didn't put Mannequin. Wait, so Mannequin's last, right? You're not putting Mannequin, mannequin above Yeah, I, t- I said before I can't keep both my testicles right. and put Mannequin above Beastmaster. Number five okay. is number one. <laughs> Dave. All right. Um, All right, Dave. So Mannequin number one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um I, you know <laughs> i'm gonna have to go like on the criteria of which movie would i watch again and like if i caught it on now literally it's tough to say because i definitely probably would watch lost boys if it was on tv but i would make a point to actually watch big trouble in little china and that just might be my own mm-hmm. personal obsession with that movie so that's still number one. I definitely think Lost Boys is number two. Uh, Kroll, three. Mannequin, four. And Beastmaster, oh. five. Just to, just to cause Wait, a little tension. So question, though, is, is it because... <laughs> Mannequin, three? 
And no, my mind went blank for a minute there. Is that what you said? <laughs> I Wait, put mannequin. It... I put what was it? Uh, so Beastmaster here's the question last. though: Is Big yeah. Trouble in Little China number one because um, it's genuinely a better movie, or just because you love it more? I mean, I think that's what we're trying to I, get at here. I you would can, say it, I think it's a better movie because, uh, but also it comes down to my personal feelings of like what I like. I like action. I like David Lopan. Mm-hmm. I like Kim Cattrall. <laughs> I, I, I love the magic. I love Kung Fu stuff. I love all of that, like and all the tropes they threw into it. So they're my favorite tropes. I'm not necessarily like a horror person. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate in Lost Boys, like the exploding toilet when Twisted Sister. Oh my God, that was disgusting. Yeah. And I knew that was a that was a throwback to other. Um, also, eighty seven Evil Dead two came out just to give you some uh, perspective. But I know it's a throwback to other horror movies that I've kind of seen clips of before then, and I really appreciate it. Like I loved when he wanted to be disgusting, that it was disgusting. Yeah. But this is a personal opinion, then you know, for me that I like action more than I like horror. So for me, I would still go back and watch Big Trouble in Little China more than I would Lost Boys. It's okay, though. It's not horror, so don't worry about it. All right. (laughs) My turn. Frank, Frank, please. All right. So uh, Big Trouble is still not my number one. I think Big Trouble is a flawless movie, and I think it's go for broke. Although I agree with Mike on the, like, there's something, like, really magical about Lost Boys. And uh, and that's really something that's hard to replicate, and you kind of have to like cherish that when you get a movie that does that. Um, but I still, I just Big Trouble in Little China is responsible, like I said, for one of like my three greatest movie going experiences of my life in a theater. So for that one's always going to be near the top of my list. Uh, Lost Boys is two, Crawl is three. I love Crawl. Crawl's in the same ballpark. It's at least in my love, if not of movie. Uh, Beastmaster four, Mannequin five. Well, that's fair. That's All right, fair. There you go. I think. And so. actually, if you didn't know, I was lying. Mannequin so then, last. Overall, I did not know. <laughs> overall, then, <laughs> then between all of us, uh, then let's just agree that Big Trouble in Little China is number one. I'll, I'll say on the, on the team it. board. But it's yeah. for me, it's close. Like it's not. You know, I think both those movies are pretty good. So it that was a hard decision. Number two, Lost Boys. Number three was Kroll. Which we're finding out is a classic. I, I'm <laughs> putting Crawl awesome. the record yeah. above Lost Boys. Just me. Yeah. I know it's just me, but that's that's all right. Uh, I, number I four is Beastmaster. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. bad. I really it's like bad. Beastmaster. <laughs> the first, like I said, the yeah. first hour of Beastmaster is way better than anything in Mannequin. Yeah, agreed. And Mannequin's that's number true. five. Uh, so that's our list. Uh, I want to thank track. everybody for listening to uh, this podcast, this awesome, dumb podcast uh, during this pandemic. Uh, Bless you all. Yes, please, please keep sending like really nasty comments and supportive comments and whatever you want to me. Yes, and answer Dave's question of give us your best backstory for your favorite lost boy. I really want to know about blonde guy. Blonde guy who was in a winger cover band called Stinger. Is um, that real? <laughs> no, I just made that up. But that's like what you can do when you make up a backstory for. He played the keyboard in Example, funny example. I know there, there was go. so much. Well, there's so He's much Canadian. <laughs> There was so much in this podcast that I don't think we actually got to get to. So it would be nice. We'll read some comments at the beginning of the next podcast. 
because uh, this movie you can unpack it for days. Yeah, it's great. It's but so you only good. have Watch four. One story's over. It's so good. <laughs> so it's thank true. you for listening to uh, Does It Suck Now? And the answer is no. No. It doesn't no, doesn't suck. Mm-hmm. Nope.